Hi, and welcome to episode 435 of the MWA podcast. I'm Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean and Brian. Today, we're very excited to have James Marcel as our guest. James is a professional chairmaker, instructor, toolmaker, and operates the Windsor Workshop in West Sussex, England. Well, welcome to the show, James. It's great to have you. Well, it's a great pleasure to, to be with you. Well, Excellent. Welcome. Yeah, I cannot wait to uh, talk to you about all what you're doing at the Windsor Workshop and about all the tools that you make and everything else. But before we do that, let's dip our toes into the woodworking news. So uh, first off, uh, John uh, Joffe uh, of Toolworks has uh, teamed up with Heartwood Tools, and he is now making some handles for the AccuBur burnisher that they've been selling for a while. And these handles look pretty nice. And for those of y'all um, that know John, he was on the, he was a guest uh, a few episodes ago. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're excited to see that uh, he's uh, providing these handles for uh, Heartwood Tools. They look fantastic. They're in a bunch of different um, species. He has American pear, beech, cherry, madrone, and walnut. So, and they come unfinished. So you're you know, you have to uh, assemble the uh, actual burnisher into the handle with a ferrule, and then you can finish the handle. Does it, with, does it come with the ferrule? I think the ferrule's separate. Okay. Yeah. The ferrules, the, she has some uh, real nice ferrules on her website that uh, that uh, come, that you can buy also. So yeah, I just got it. So I just picked up the Acubur about uh, two weeks ago. Have How you gotten to use it yet? Yeah, I used it at Greg Pennington's shop. You know, mm-hmm. I was okay. like, what's the, what's the big deal? It's just another carbide, you know, burning a burning a rod. Uh, you know, you can use a screwdriver mm-hmm. uh, until I actually used it. And we were using it on like coved scrapers and, um, you know, the, some of the curved ones for the, the real fine work on the seat, saddling the seat. And I tell you what, that, that thing was pretty slick. You know, it, you know, you still had to prep the, the scraper like you normally would, but that put a nice moderate burr on it. And it was just super fast because because it does both sides at once. So. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's tiny, so it's a good idea to handle them. I think so you mm-hmm. don't lose it. You know, so these <laughs> these handles are a are a great idea. And uh, and knowing him and knowing his work, I'm sure they are they are fantastic. And I I love the different species too. So that gives you a real opportunity to customize it to your own tastes and whatnot. Yeah, and real reasonably priced too. It, oh yeah, yeah. Up, I mean, under under fifteen dollars. I don't know what shipping might be, but yeah, um, if you're not so handy with the lathe that you can't make your own, mm-hmm. that's not going to break the bank to to add that to your to your arsenal. Yeah, I or do want to pick up one of those burrs. Or there are that. some woodworkers who don't even own a lathe. Imagine, and that. there's that too. Imagine that. <laughs> I feel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on, um, Blue Spruce Toolworks has a new mortising gauge that they have come out with. And this is a pretty cool mortising gauge. Um, it uh, has two sides to it and you can accurately mark the inside and outside of mortises. And uh, one of the things, one of the features I like is it has these little um, stainless steel, little flat bars that are part of the head of the mortise gauge. And you can reverse those to where there are semicircles, So it will work on both flat as well as around curved work pieces. So I thought that was pretty cool. And now the- yeah, it eliminates having those those rounded facets there will really eliminate some of the rocking if you're going around an arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's great. Dave Dave's a smart guy. He's very he's figured this out. Yeah. 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 And it's it's pretty nice. And um and it is really nice. It's two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the introductory price. But uh so so get one now. But knowing uh 
Dave and what they're doing. Um, it looks it looks really cool. And, you know, since we don't have a woodpecker's tool to uh, promote, we'll promote Blue Spruce. I think uh, they're recently purchased by woodpeckers yeah, last year I or something. Yeah. Milling's probably done. It's it's different colors of anodization. So mm -hmm. you want a, a blue, silver, oh, or black. black. Yeah. Um, to, to offset the red that you may yeah. already have in your shop. <laughs> nice. I addition. would probably, if I were to order one, I'd probably get the blue. You can at least spot that across your shop probably mm -hmm. better than the yeah. black or silver. Yeah, if not the silver, probably wouldn't be the worst. It's a dull, but yeah. still bright enough to contrast any you know other subsurface. You can see it in in their pictures against wood, it's it stands out. But yeah, blue would blue would definitely catch your eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's really nice. Uh, my only complaint is I would like an attachment to put a pencil in because this would look perfect for outlining like spindle decks and stuff like that on chairs. Mm. Um, but um, you know, that's all. Like I said, I have a fetish for uh, marking tools and um, layout tools. So yeah, this caught my eye. <laughs> but you know, but I do have that uh, Thule Park uh, Scriber too, which works pretty well for doing um, spindle decks and stuff like that. Which thanks to James, he actually introduced me to that on his <laughs> uh, channel. So mm, there you go. Yeah, like them and uh, yeah. yeah, they're very popular in my courses. But uh, last, I wanted to—I uh, don't know if this is new or not—but it caught my eye, and this is from Rockler, one of their Dustrite um, devices. These are clamping hose holders, and uh, they're basically made to uh, clamp your shock back hose to a tabletop or drill press table. That's why it caught my eye, and uh, because you should see some of the. Um, uh, some of the machinations I go through to get uh, proper dust collection at the drill press table. So uh, this looked uh, this looked pretty cool. So I might have to pick these up. There, it's like you get two of them for fifteen bucks. So you can't beat that as far as the price goes. My only question is, will the you know will the hose uh, will the clamp actually be secure enough? Because it's kind of like a spring clamp when you turn your vacuum on. That's the only thing that kind of. You know, that's the only doubt I would have, but I assume they put it through all the testing and stuff like that, so it should work. But I think the next time I uh, head into uh, Houston and visit Rockler, I'll probably pick me up some. There you go. Yeah, I think every woodworker's did a bastardized version of this at some point in the past, uh, you know, to try and keep a shop vac hose near something. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's almost amazing it took this long for somebody to commercialize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And, you know, like I said, 15 bucks for two of them. Yeah, I can't beat that as far as price. So anyway, well, let's move on. Do we have a Patreon shout out this week? Before that, I actually want to add one extra oh, sure. thing in there and just something I fumbled across. I, I, I guess I wasn't surprised, but that I don't already follow uh, the New Yankee Workshop on YouTube. But somehow one of their algorithms showed me a video of, of that. Anyway, just recently, like within the last week, the the original producer of the New Yankee Workshop, who owns the property that the shop is on, mm -hmm. did a nice little walkthrough of Norm's shop, well, the mm -hmm. New Yankee Workshop. It was just really cool to see. I mean, it's been 20 years since I've seen any of that stuff easily. And and uh, him just talking about like different areas and actually seeing how messy it really is because <laughs> there's just stuff tossed in the, in the edges and stuff. It's really kind of neat to see. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I think that shop was originally that guy's when they started New Yankee Workshop. They I kind wouldn't of... doubt it. Norm just kind of, you know, adopted that that space, and I guess they probably added to it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously built over the years, but um, it's good to see his, his rickety old Anirondack chair up, up on a 
on the <laughs> on the shop table there and getting worked on. It's kind of funny. Like time has not passed. Since I know. Yeah. The shop. Kind of, yeah. Kind of wonder, wonder how many routers were in there. Yeah. Was, yeah. Norm was a big router guy, no, wasn't he? What was he was uh, that and Brad nails, but um, what was funny, like one of the parting shots of it was like a pan through the shop, and um, it was the the Norm router table station mm. with like. There's a little V V shaped plexiglass fronted dust collection area drawers on the side. My dad built it. It's in his shop. Like I, I see it every time I go in there. And it's just funny to see like, Oh, that was the one that like, that was the base of it. That was, that was the plans that were available based on that thing right there. That's kind of neat to see. Yeah. Anyway, that is, check that, check is that cool. out. Who, I, from what um, I understand, I, I still don't follow the new Yankee workshop. They're apparently posting the old shows on YouTube now. So you can go back there and watch new Yankee workshop episodes. Like oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's weird that PBS wouldn't host it, but eh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, on to Patreon. So, you know, we always like to give good shout-outs to our Patreon supporters, and today we're going to give that shout-out to our friend Blake Laurie. Blake, thank you for your support, sir. And if you would like to join Blake in supporting us, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and support us there. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, let's move on to what's in the shop. So uh, I'll give a peek behind the curtains. We are recording these shows pretty much back to back to back. Um, So not a lot's changed since our last episode, but uh, Brian, what are you working on? (laughs) I'm uh, I'm trying to have a heart to heart with myself and I need more room in the shop just to kind of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be starting a cabinet project here shortly and I just need space to, to put assembled pieces uh, and that, you know, occasionally do the occasional boat. So it's, it's easier if you have you know room to move around. So I want to push my table saw up against the wall, the right side of the table saw up against the wall. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to see, you know, how much of the big sheet goes to actually cut. It's not very much. Uh, so mine, mine's been, uh, my right side of my table saw has been up against my shop wall for 10 plus years. And it's never been an issue. And I have yeah. this one, uh, I guess, lolly pole, whatever you call them, mm-hmm. you know, that supports a steel beam, but it's like four feet from the foundation, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why does that beam need to be there? And I'm debating trying to move, remove that beam. <laughs> so I, <laughs> because it, it's, it's not a very big span and I'm not, it's so close to the wall. I'm like, I'm like, why what's, is this here? What's above? Yeah. Ah, the kitchen. Who needs yeah. that? You know, oh. <laughs> no, it, on, our, on our next episode of <laughs> yeah. kitchen remodeling going on, Home at the, Coast, uh... <laughs> the granite comes down. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't, so I'm trying to, you know, do the, you know, how much space do I need behind it? Do mm-hmm. I need in front of it? You know, then I'm like, you know, I can get it a, a 96 inch rail for um, a plunge saw. And that, you know, if I need to rip long things, that's what I'll just do with it. So I'm, I'm trying to shorten up the amount of room that the table saw takes up. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm probably like you. I don't use sheet goods that often, but yeah, when I do, I break them down on the floor with a Festool saw, plunge saw, and uh, then I'll just, um, you know, if I got to true anything up, then I'll take it over the table saw. Plus, it's a lot easier. You're not lifting a whole mm-hmm. four by eight sheet or a five by five sheet of plywood. Yeah, because you know, I have I have two primary. Well, I guess you can't say two primary, but two workbenches that kind of get in the way of wrangling a full four by eight sheet of plywood. So sooner or later, it's gonna kick back at me and I'm just figuring, you know what, I'm just gonna just gonna bite the bullet and deal with it. And so I have some more space. So yeah, I'm gonna have to take because I have an assembly table attached to it. So I have to take all the stuff off the assembly table. Cause I have a, a large collection of um hardware drawers on the assembly table. Mm-hmm. And so I have to take all that stuff out and uh and move all that around. And I want to move the lathe 
I'm, you know, just trying to get a little bit more floor space, long, straight floor space. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my little thing. I, I, what I should do is digitize it and 3d model it and then push it around that way instead of pushing thousands of pounds of cast iron oh, yeah. around, around the wood shop. The yeah. old, uh, the old paper cutout thing. Is yeah. Yeah. Maybe even easier. Just to... yeah, Greg, you got the graph paper and yep. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, not a bad idea to give it a little, yeah. little time to organize. Well, I will make this request. If you do take that poll out, make sure it's all on video. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't touch it just because I actually attached power to it. So there's an outlet like, Okay. Yeah. Shop. Oh, so, for that. Oh, that's more. Yeah. Important no. than... <laughs> so, yeah, it's you know, like I bought a lot of these tools at estate sales, so I got them pennies on the dollar, and you know, the big jet sanders and stuff like that. And I'm like, do I really need all this? You know, especially for chairs. I mean, you can make a chair in a. I mean, James, you know, you can make a chair in a ten, ten square foot area if you wanted to. So, yeah. So we'll see. You know, if there's a big calamity, I'm well insured, and we'll. We'll all laugh about it later. <laughs> yeah, don't don't sledgehammer out any supports that are already there. This this my suggestion. That's danger, danger, Will Robinson. Yeah, at least without consulting a structural engineer. So yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. I do have several engineers in my neighborhood, so I probably should just ask yeah. them. I, I know exactly what they're going to tell me. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my my house is uh, sixty, pushing seventy years old, and it's it's um it's a wooden beam that runs down the middle of my house. And yes, there's metal stanchions holding it up. None of them are four feet off the wall, but I've got them every eight feet across the entire thing. So they're, they're in every walkway that's in between things. It's, it kind of makes bays out of my basement just by support, 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 support right down the middle. I get, I get what you feel, but uh, they're doing something. They're not there on, and for guesswork, you know, I'm sure there was a good reason. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's me. Um, anyway. you know, other than that, I'm just trying to, and it's still too cold out to work in the garden and mm -hmm. uh, working on this stool a little bit this morning, actually. Um, uh, my, my wife was recording podcasts all, all this morning, so I couldn't make any noise. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, her in the morning, you in the afternoon. Look at you. Yeah. 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 A quiet household. Yep. Well, so you'll need to you? set up your own po podcast studio there at the yeah, yeah, well, she's, mansion. You so know. one of the, <laughs> what, she's outgrowing her space. So one of the big yeah. projects I have coming up is we're going to basically rework the entire basement. And about probably 50, 60% of that will become her new sewing studio. I'm going to wall it off and try and keep dust out of there. Uh, but that's going to be a humongous, you know, cabinet type job. Um, you know, moving some power around, trying to give her as much ceiling space as possible. And then her old office will become my my new space, which will have two desks and the standing desk mm -hmm. for work. And then, you know, the um, I have a plans for my fine woodworking desk from years ago. It's absolutely gorgeous that I want to build and then make my like that the podcasting station, so to speak. There you go. Well, are you going to share that with your wife? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. I mean, she. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Her podcast is starting to take off. So, yeah, I guess I should be nice and let her use the stuff. That's right. That's right. Google. Oh, cool. Sean, what are you okay. working on? Uh, so, like you said, Kyle, you know, not a whole lot in the last couple of days since we last mm -hmm. recorded. But uh, um, I did uh, I did get a new crimping tool to make Molex connections on small gauge wire. It's very interesting. Like, piece individual pinning a Molex connector for purpose of building a, a thing. And um, I did this morning successfully gain a gps signal on my little transmitter that i built a couple weeks ago so uh, oh, that's nice. a cool little thing the biggest part was finding a battery because <laughs> better uh, uh, the right type of battery was kind of really hard to get um i did find one locally but um 
I just like just the the joy of seeing that little flashing red light. <laughs> I powered it up and it was searching, and then the sequence changed and it must have obtained. I I'm still working on how to read that and see what it's seeing, but um, at least I think I soldered things to to a, a point where electronics are firing properly. I, I meant I meant to ask you, what were you doing for fume extraction? Nothing. All Nothing. Just breathing deeply, asking. Brian. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> the physician in me says that's a bad idea, but you do you. So. I know. I know. No, I, I'm I'm in a basement, and yes, I know there's there's solder fumes are not good for you. Um, there truthfully, are I, there was I wasn't seeing a lot of smoke the way mm -hmm. the way I was working. So maybe you know it's not drastic, but there there are some little itty bitty, I guess fume hood type things you can buy. I know they're used a lot in model making for people to airbrush inside. Mm -hmm. and you can actually, oh yeah, you could you could take a computer fan and just have it blow yeah. away from you. I think that's you're basically what this is, is a bunch of computer fans in a little box type thing. Mm -hmm. And it's got a hose that you can, you know, pour it outside or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it's not like I'm smoking, mm -hmm. uh, you know, huge me metallic things. I mean, this is mm -hmm. 0.002, no, 0 0.020 uh, solder. So it's oh, less than yeah. tiny. Yeah. It's itty bitty, and so I'm putting on I, I'm, the the components I'm using are less than three millimeters. Okay. So I'm not soldering big joints like these are tiny little itty bitty dabs that are honestly hard to inspect with your naked eye. You know they're so small. So it's uh hopefully I'm not damaging my lungs. We'll see. <laughs> it's, it's such a terrible thing to say. But <laughs> anyway, Kyle, how about you, man? You're not poisoning yourself, are you? Uh, no, not that I know well, of. In good. fact, I started using a respirator when I'm mixing epoxy since I uh, heard about some issues with your standard epoxy. So mm -hmm. not bad. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows how much, how many, uh, epoxy fumes I've inhaled in the past though, but yeah, right. I, that might explain a few things anyway, moving on. Huh? <laughs> but no, I've just been working on orders. Um, I did put our new version of the, um, our latest version of the stretcher drilling guide out uh, today so it went live today i made a little instagram post for it and um i think i've gotten a few orders i know i've gotten at least a couple so um it's looking good Excellent. and um yep and i'll be working on the new version well it's not a, it's a it's not a new version of our spindle drilling guide but it's kind of a uh, another version of it for handling larger diameter bits up to five eighths of an inch and um, i have a good working prototype i still got a couple of things i want to investigate before i release it but hopefully i'll release it i was targeting the end of the month but it may be into the first week of february um depending on th how things go but yeah so things are going well awesome but with that uh james what are you working on in your shop oh <clears throat> you got any new tool announcements you want to make i don't know <laughs> it's more of the same i'm afraid it's uh, i seem to be so busy on uh, running the courses and uh, making and shipping the tools that it doesn't give me much spare time for uh, nice projects to for my myself so uh, no it's, it's just a business i enjoy doing it but uh, not a lot extra at the moment oh understood, understood. awesome well well, how did the Windsor workshop come to be? Oh, gosh, it was completely by accident. Um, I made my first chair back in 1996. And then um, I was a fruit grower at the time. Oh. I was growing apples and strawberries, raspberries, that sort of thing. And um, I, start, I bought a router. A friend of mine bought a router. I didn't know about what a router was. And I could suddenly see how you got this perfect right angle and you can make joints. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a very precise person. I don't really like flat surfaces and right angles. They they do my head in. 
And uh, this router, that sort of got me into woodworking and I started making things for the router. I made uh, a couple of rocking chairs for some reason. I obviously seem to like chairs. And then I thought, well, I can't make what I have in my head. I better go on a course. So I went on a course which happened to be making a chair, Windsor chair. I went along thinking, I don't really want to make a Windsor chair, but I'm sure I'll learn something, a terrible attitude to go along with. And uh, that, that was the start of my chair making. I was completely hooked. I started making chairs any spare moment I had. Uh, and I and then two years later, I went off to a course with Mike Dunbar in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really got me going. And uh, anyway, I packed up the farm uh, three years later and just made chairs for a couple of years. And then I was asked to run a course. And that was the start of the teaching. And uh, that was the start of the winter workshop as, as it is now. Wow. wow. So, um... You, you're in your own separate uh, facility there in um, West Sussex, England. So tell us a little bit about uh, the actual, the shop itself and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Like if someone was interested in coming to England or we do have a lot of international listeners. So if someone in England that would like to come down or come over to uh, visit you. Well, I had three of your compatriots last week. Oh, okay. So Fantastic. In from New York and uh, did the course. So uh, yeah. The, I have a number of people, not a huge number from the States, but yeah. uh, quite a few are coming over. But uh, now I still live on the farm that I used to grow fruit on. And uh, so I'm lucky to have some buildings. Um, and the my current workshop, which is my second workshop, was just a 1950s cattle barn. So uh, it had a sort of asbestos roof, uh, metal windows, um, and it was drafty as hell um but it turned into a beautiful workshop and uh thoroughly insulated i think there's about 80 millimeters of in insulation all the way around underneath as well and that makes a huge difference and i've got room for eight people so i've got four big benches two to a bench and a small bench for myself um and machinery i, I mean i hear you guys talking about machinery i really don't have very much i have a uh, i have well i have four lathes um one i use mainly for myself a pillar drill and a bandsaw and that's it mm -hmm. uh, so i have the main workshop a little room for the three lathes and then i have a an open fronted timber store where i keep everything in there apart from the seat wood because uh, that all comes wet and it just sits there and gradually dries and then i'm lucky enough to have a room specially devoted to the steam bending um where yeah we do all the bending on a on a monday morning on the courses mm-hmm well, that's fantastic. That's great. That's great. I want to talk to you a little bit about steam bending, but before we get there, so if someone was coming out to uh, to take a class there, what what uh, different types of classes do you offer? It's just chairs. Just chairs. So, okay. Uh, I think I've got six different uh, chairs at the six moment. Six different ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, although I'm, uh, I yeah, anyone can make any one of those six, and then I'm doing a settee course, a two seater. Uh, that's uh, that's in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, uh, basically it's six, six different chairs at the moment. I try to keep producing new chairs to keep the courses fresh and the chairs get retired and the other ones mm -hmm. brought in. Um, but just chairs. Yeah, just chairs. Well, well, that yeah, yeah, I figured that. But you do have the different types of chairs and a settee. So there's not a lot of there's not many people teaching a settee class that I can think of. It's quite full yeah. on. I mean, I yeah. also have eight people. And we do yeah. the whole thing in five days. Uh, wow. Only take That's a lot of centrals in five days. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they have to have been before and they have to be quick. 
Yeah. <laughs> so there isn't time to teach from, from scratch, you know, mm -hmm. know what they're doing. And uh, but it's a hell of a buzz if you uh, get to the end of uh, Friday afternoon and you've got eight cities going out the door. That's that's really great. Yeah, that's great. Well, I do want to ask you a little bit about the the chairs you teach because yours you're primarily English Windsor chairs, which are a bit different than American Windsors as far as my mind goes. And I want to get your opinion on that. What, oh, what the major uh, differences are between the two? Oh, yeah. This, this, there really is quite a big difference. But I'm so heavily influenced by the American chairs. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was really the American chairs that uh, really inspired me. I, after I made my first chair, I, mm -hmm. I was a subscriber to Fine Woodworking. Mike Dunbar seemed to be in there almost every other episode, and yeah. he certainly could talk the talk. And uh, there were a lot of articles about Wins chairs, and so I was totally inspired by them. And my chair, all I think all my chairs are my own design, but many of them are heavily influenced by the American chairs. I just mm -hmm. like the um, the lightness and the elegance of the American Windsors. Yeah, uh, I think some of the very early English ones are really beautiful too. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a very different aesthetic. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think the biggest sort of visual difference is that the uh, the front legs tend to be right in the corners and tend to be almost vertical. Yeah, uh, the seats are far less shaped than the American ones, probably because we were using hardwoods uh, mm -hmm. rather than the pines or the soft tulip wood. Um, and everything is just a bit more upright, tends to be heavier. Um, yeah, particularly when you got into the Victorian times, that everything got very heavy. Uh, yeah, and you just sort of lost the elegance, and you know, you, you nothing comes to a nowhere in a seat does it come to a fine line or anything like that. So, so. Yeah, that's that's what I think I, I noticed when I first looked at. It. Well, the first thing is, yeah, they were seem to be a the a little bit more bulky, but the thing that really got my mind was the rake and splay of the legs. It seems like the Americans have much more rake and splay in both the front and rear legs than your traditional English Windsor does. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know which is chicken and which is egg. But yeah. uh, I mean, with the American front legs, they they're inserted well into the seat, mm -hmm. away from the edge, and therefore you have to have much greater angle. But uh, whether it was the shape of the seat meant they had to be further in, and therefore you got the greater splay, I don't know. But uh, it, it's a good look. I mean, the the American style chairs that I make, I do tend to anglicize a little. I mm -hmm. tend to make the uh, front legs a little bit more upright than probably traditional in in their home yeah. um, just because the uh, British eye is unused to that. Right. I can imagine that. Yeah. Um, so I, you... I think my, many of my chairs are definitely Anglo-American, even the most English <laughs> we have as uh, definite American features, which are not traditional, but uh, it, I mean, it's fun to make copies of old chairs, but uh, I think the greatest fun is coming up with designs of your own, mm -hmm. even if they're, just small changes on the traditional designs. Yeah. Can, can you adapt an English style Windsor into a rocker form if it sits up that high? Oh, I, I think you can adapt any chair to a rocker. Yes, yeah, no, no problem at all. Uh, but you, you, you'd have to change the um, the angles of the legs. I think so. The the front and back legs are in the same plane. I think that that makes a huge difference. Okay. It's just if you you know, have a front leg and a back leg at, at different angles that. that causes problems on the rockers but no reason why you shouldn't have english rockers yeah yeah because i know some of the the two rockers that i built are our back legs are pitched you know they're they're in just a little bit so your your runners are not exactly parallel they're actually the, the tails are in a little bit so it doesn't want to walk when you're rocking away 
Um, oh, I, I yeah. think you want that, but I was meaning if you look from the front leg to the back leg in a rocking oh. chair, ideally they should they should be in the same plane. Yeah, yeah I got you. One upright and one at an angle like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny because you you mentioned Mike Dunbar. Um, I lived uh, pretty close to uh, Jim Rendy, who was a chairmaker here in the United States. So he oh, trained right. with he trained with Mike. Uh, he wrote a book pretty 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 early on. And when Jim passed away, I went to his estate sale. And actually, this is one of his chairs that I'm sitting in now. Uh, but I found a uh, sack back from Mike Dunbar from 1981. And you should see the rake and splay on these things. Um, I gave it to Greg Pennington for a while just so he could show it to people. I mean, it, it's way back. You know, um, <laughs> it's almost like there's no way to flip the chair over if you wanted to. You couldn't you couldn't rock it back that far. So it's, you know, I have to look into English Windsor's just to have one of those in the house. I might have to build one of those. I, I mean, if you get one of the really old ones, they are really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, an awful lot of them have cabriole legs, the really old ones. So, the, you know, you either like them or you hate them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's no reason why you can't just change them for regular legs. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I did. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about steam bending. You're like one of my steam bending heroes oh, <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> especially. Just, I, I love all the uh, videos you put out with y'all doing the steam bending, and now y'all are doing some really extreme stuff. So yeah, it's, um, yeah. That particular bend we did it uh, the week before last, and uh, I think the piece we were bending is 48 inches long, and it's an inch and a quarter by five inches, bending into a pretty tight U shape. And, and for that, I had a brand new winch. I thought, you know, my old winch lost its ratchet. And when you're pulling something that tough, you need mm -hmm. some safety mechanism so that if you let go, it doesn't spin. So uh, I found this winch and it's got a three-ton pull, which is... Uh, wow. I think it's a lot more than I actually needed, but I, I thought it looked a pretty good winch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the principles are exactly the same. Everything just has to be a lot heavier. Um, I got a, a fair lead to split the, the rope um, that came off a car uh, from a, or you know four by four winch. Um, there were big straps. The um, the strap metal strap behind the piece of wood. I think that, that's five inches wide. It was galvanized steel. It's just bigger and beefier. Right. Um, but I think the the real secret of the, the success of that was keeping the strap on. Um, taking it off and then plunging it into cold water. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that. That was interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I, you you left the strap on and just plunged it in cold water to just kind of freeze the bend in place. Set the bend, yeah. Set the bend, yeah. Yeah, it, it really made a huge difference. I mean, normal bends, you know, they dry, they cool so quickly that so you don't mm -hmm. think about it. But but those big ones, there's such a cross sectional area that uh, it takes a long time to get the heat out. And because we're doing it on a course, we have to get ready for the next one. So we, there's time pressure. We're doing them every mm -hmm. eight minutes. Um, and you've got to get that strap off. And as soon as we started cooling it, success rate went up. You know, it, we had almost 100% last week. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. amazing. Yeah. Well, how, now on your regular bins, like if you're doing a bow or something like that, um, how long do you leave it in the straps before you put it onto like a cooling form or something like that? Oh, well, I mean, it's about three or four minutes. Something three like that. or four minutes. Okay. Uh, immediately we, move it over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have a cycle of uh, eight minutes. We put each piece, put a piece in every eight minutes. Okay. So you have eight minutes to bend it, wedge it, tie the ends together with string, take it off, yeah. straighten out the strap, have a breather and do the next yeah. one. Now you're using all uh, um, green wood or air dried wood? 
Uh, it's air dried. I mean, okay. a lot of my wood comes freshly sawn. Okay. Um, so it's sopping wet when it arrives and it's green. Right. Uh, yeah. But I find with I'm using almost all ash for okay. well, all ash for bending. Um, and I'm when I used to work from logs, then I found that if you try to bend wood straight from the tree, it just didn't like it. But if you mm. uh, let the ash dry for a few days in the summer, it will then mm. bend beautifully. And so um, that gave me confidence that I didn't need totally wet wood. And what I find now is that wood that's been sitting in my racks for, I don't know, two, three, four years, it still bends beautifully. So I, I reckon air dried ash is just perfect for bending. Mm -hmm. and same with oak, no problem at all. Um, I mean, I, I used to do it from trees. I used to go to local estates and choose trees and then they'd cut them down for me and I'd split it and all the rest of it. Um, but I found that uh, as the number of people on the courses increased, it just wasn't sustainable for me to right. find the trees handle them split them all the rest of it and i find sawn wood works just as well mm -hmm. yeah i've actually built uh bent some kiln dried into some balloon backs um but yeah it, it took a while and i had um i bent three this is uh, a few years ago i bent three and i had one failure but the other two came out fine but yeah i had to soak them for like a week you know had to do the whole burn yeah uh, burn uh chanley uh exercise of soaking them for about a week and all that kind of stuff and yeah they, well, here they it's fantastic that you yeah. can it's, it's great that you can bend uh, yeah on dried wood i mean i yeah. always say to people no don't bother you know it's a waste of time but so then burn shows that uh it's completely possible. So yeah, have uh, I don't know if you watch much YouTube, but have you ever seen Ingles um, Coat Shop? I have. This is a yeah. This is a guy out in I think he's in Montana or North Dakota, and he uh, refurbishes old wagons and builds. You know, you know. Hey, this is built on plans of an old wagon and does wagon wheels and all kinds of things. And he bends wood like on an industrial scale with some he heavy machinery, like a big. You know, he's got forms and he's got straps, but what's actually pulling the straps is instead of like a winch or something, it's like some big pneumatic thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> pulling everything up. And I mean, he's bending stuff that's like four inches wide, two inches thick, you know. <laughs> like, how long do you have to steam something like that? Because we typically yeah, well, steam he has, an, adu he has an industrial steamer that I think it actually steams it under pressure. Wow. So there's actually pressure in a steam box. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's one of the interesting things. Yeah. How long do you steam for? Because yeah. um, I, I think it, it's not linear to um, to the cross-sectional. I think uh, the amount of time per square inch goes up as the cross-sectional area increases. So mm -hmm. if you double the cross-sectional cross area, you've got to increase by more than the factor of two per time. Yeah, and I found that with the kiln-dried stuff, too, when I was bending it. It was like I just doubled the time I would normally bend something. If I left it in the steam box for an hour, it's going in there for two hours, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, if that made a difference, I don't know, but, hey, it worked. <laughs> so <laughs> That's right. As long as it works, you know. I, I At some point, I need to do some more experimentation on that, but... Uh, We'll see what's what comes up, but yeah, but yeah, I, I love uh, the stuff you do in steam bending, and I've really learned a lot. Uh, I have a winch set up based on your designs and stuff Excellent. like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And yeah, you couldn't bend that kiln dried stuff without a strap and a winch and all of the stuff like that. And I'm going, yeah, well, I'll just repeat what James has uh, has done, and it, and it works like a charm. It's fantastic. But it couldn't. And be it's relative. It's not. It's not sophisticated. No, no, it's relatively it's simple, and it's inexpensive to make too. You know, the winch is twenty, thirty bucks. You know, U.S. So yeah, it's not bad at all. Well, I would like to talk a little bit also about your tools. So you make a number of chair making tools. I think you're most famous for the Travisher that you've come out with several years ago. And uh, I have one of those. I know Brian does too. And uh, those are just fabulous tools. In fact, I stopped using my Scorp when I got your Travisher because, <laughs> you know, you can set it to just hog off wood, you know, and it worked much better, especially in, I was, I was, I have a hard time getting uh, pine around my area. So I use uh, mainly uh, poplar or tulip wood for my chair seats. And uh, yeah, when I got your Travisher, that was a revelation. It would just hog off that material much better than a scorp wood. So, uh, I, 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 well, I'm, I, I'm probably getting into trouble for saying it, but I, I, I just think a scorp is a silly tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The handles are so far above yep. the cutting blade and the, so mm -hmm. the moment of you know turning moment that uh, it just seems wrong to me but uh, that's my personal opinion yeah well tell us about that how did you uh, develop that travisher um well when i went to mike dunbar i bought he, he had a list of tools that he suggested mm -hmm. uh, and i was extremely keen at the time i'm still pretty keen um and so i bought all, all the tools and it included uh, a travisher uh and i came home and i was continue to make chairs and then i dropped it on a concrete floor and it broke mm. um and i had a set of tools set of chairs that i had to get out in the next couple of weeks um and i knew i couldn't get one quickly um so i remember very clearly uh, it was a lump of sycamore that i had i just cut into a a curved shape um and added the the blade the shavings came out the back and it worked rather well and it felt very nice in the hand and that was that was the start of it. And um, gradually, I I made new versions, and I started teaching. And I used to take the tool along. People really seemed to like it, so I refined it a bit more. And then I think one of the big sort of signature things is the shavings come out the top, and that was a bit of an experiment. Mm -hmm. so I like that because you can get your thumbs absolutely behind the cutting edge, mm -hmm. uh, and there's, then there's no rolling action as you as you push. Uh, and that became the sort of signature. And I did the same with the spoke shaves using Ron Hock blades. Um, and it, I really started making these tools just because I couldn't buy the tools that I, I needed. I was mm -hmm. working entirely green wood. And so I was using draw knives, spoke shaves um, for the spindles and so on. And I just wanted to get rid of that wood quickly. And I wanted spoke shaves that would rip the wood off. Uh, it didn't need to be terribly uh, fancy, but it did need to shift the wood as quick as possible. And that was the philosophy behind the spoke shape. Um, and then the uh, the scraper tools, which are the most recent ones, we, um, I don't know whether you guys went into lockdown uh, with COVID. But oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We, I don't. I don't think quite as extreme as England, but elite in some parts of the country it was. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we we were at least a year, you know. Well, washing our groceries when we yep. got them at the store and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we were <laughs> Fun times. locked down. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was the first time I'd had, you know, two or three months to do things and uh, mm -hmm. experiment. And uh, I'd had this idea for a scraper tool for just rummaging around at the back of my head, never thinking I would do anything about it. And I think it was in about six weeks, I uh, 
uh, I made the developed the um, the curved Travis scraper, and while I was doing it, I thought, well, I may as well make a straight one. Um, and I think after I did about seven versions of each, starting from incredibly crude, gradually refined, just in wood, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the prototypes worked really well. Then I was able to find a local shop that uh, would build a digital model for me. And they, they they made prototypes. I think the first prototypes were made in out of uh, aluminium. Um, we made a couple of tweaks, and then they went to production. And uh, yeah, they seem to work well. Yeah, I used my Travis scraper. It came in really handy when I was doing the final passes between the saddle, the seat, and the spindle deck, because you can get right up to your line without. And you can see what you're doing because it's you know it's a smaller tool than a Travisher, yeah. and you can get really just sneak up on it. And it was it was worked fantastic. Oh, good. And what, what wood was that on? That was on, uh, I did it on both pine and sassafras. Uh, I and tried it on, right on pine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it worked better on the sassafras. Uh, yes. it, it, the sassafras, the last sassafras seat that I saddled was a bear because the, the grain went all over the place, you know, and that that's when the Travis scraper really came in, you know, because it's, I wasn't hogging out or blowing out pieces that I didn't want to. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was a little, I had to play with it to get set just to the right depth, but once I had it, it was, as long as you didn't bump it, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's got, very well seats. I mean, we, uh, if I, on my courses, I offer tulip wood seats. That's the main wood, but then some people want something else and I have ash and the ash I have is kiln dried. It is so dense. It is so hard, mm -hmm. particularly on those really hard woods. It, these scraper tools work an absolute dream. And sharpening up, I mean, we do you uh, make a gutter between your spindle deck and the, the hollow? On, on some of them, yeah. Like the sackbacks, I do. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that, you know, it's you can get right up to, you know, where you had passed the, uh, the, the spindle gouge. And, you know, it was just, it, I, I liked it. It, it. it came in. You know, if you if you are a person that has patience and you like finite touch, that that's the tool for you. Right. And the other the other use for it, I think, is um, making a lovely, very subtle texture to to a flat surface mm. so on the underneath yeah. of a seat. I mean, you can you can use a travisher across the grain, and that does it in moments. But if you've got a bit yeah. more patience, you want something a bit more subtle, then uh, you get this lovely, faintly rippled surface. I, I think that's good. Oh, that is nice. Yeah, that is nice. Well, um, tell us a little bit about the spoke scraper. So that's kind of like, uh, it's similar to the Travis scraper, but it's kind of set up like a spoke shave. It is. And it's yeah. that is my, almost my favorite tool. Um, I mean, it, it has transformed making spindles here. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the great thing is that it just never catches. I, I find you know, if it, but I used to uh, use green oak, and green oak uh, is quite forgiving. You can uh, shave across a slight ripple in in the grain, but uh, ash has this tendency to tear very very easily. Uh, and these little spoke scrapers are fantastic. You can take the lightest shaving off, and you can also take si significant shavings. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not really a, a shaping tool, but it's more of a finishing tool. Uh, and on the sides of seats, um, yeah, anything. Um, but the thing, it, it, it's getting that uh, pivoting between the uh, the brass sort of nose in front of the blade and the blade, and it's that little pivot that just gives you so much control. And uh, I remember the first time I I found that on the prototypes, it was it was such a sweet moment. Uh, <laughs> 
and that's the key of them, I think. But oh, that that is fantastic. Now you're making these out of uh, some interesting materials. You're using uh, was it Durlin? Uh, Delrin. Delrin. Del Del Delrin. Delrin. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not an engineer, so I don't really know. I'm just yeah. told that it's a really good material to uh, to machine. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's a tough plastic, right? I mean, that's. Oh, I don't like to use the word plastic. Well, it's really, it's a resin. I think. Yeah, oh, it's a resin. Really I, I know. I know. Yeah. It's like a super dense okay resin, which is effectively plastic. There's, yeah. I mean, the terminology crosses, but um, yeah, it's it's that. It's not a plastic bag. <laughs> it is a machinable <laughs> machinable material, but it, it it has similar properties if you had very thick plastic. I mean, it's it's solid but moldable. You know, I'm sure if you heated it enough, it would melt. Oh, it does get soft. I think yes. Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. But I think it feels quite nice. And the fact that uh, there are still very faint machine marks, um, the cutting mm -hmm. mark on on it, it just so it's not smooth and not completely smooth. So you, it gives you a little bit more grip, um, and it it just feels nice. I think yeah, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's warm, but it's you know it's hard and it's solid. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. I have that in uh, in uh, the travisher I got from you, and yeah, it's it's real nice. It's dense. It's heavy. It helps the tool. You know, have some momentum as you're uh, making the cuts, and so yeah, it's great. Well, so um, so tell us a little bit about um, uh, we talked a little bit about seat carving, but you said you're using in your classes, you're mainly using poplar or tulip wood, correct? Yeah. And um, so tell us a little bit about some of your uh, techniques on seat carving and undercarriages, because I know at least I still see you drilling stretchers for undercarriages and it's a little bit different. I kind of like the way you do it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, with a short drill between the legs. Yeah, but you you have all sorts of such sophisticated ways of doing it. That's, uh, <laughs> but, that. there, there's a thousand ways to do these things so I've found. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's pretty unique. It's I, I like I like the way you. Well, you do some stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about some of those techniques that uh, you've developed over the years. Oh, well, I mean, the seat, if we just start with the seats, then yep. um, certainly on the courses, we'll we'll use an ad to begin with. Um, and if my students have got uh, particularly hard wood and they, they don't like the ads, then I will get out um, an angle grinder with a, an Arbitec or mm -hmm. I can't, we were talking about this, the, the Korean disc. I can't remember yeah. what it's called, but the menopause, something like I that. Say, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Menopause? No, menopause. Mana menopause. I think okay. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, no, it doesn't have the pause. It just has the paw. Paw. Yeah. 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 So, so. yeah. I think it's M A N A P A, something like that. So. I'm probably mispronouncing it. You know, I'm famous for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think. Um, you know, I, I think adzing is is overrated. I mean, if if I my favorite seat wood is sweet chestnut, which I occasionally mm -hmm. get. Uh, I mean, it looks like oak, but it's so soft. It's, um, and I would never dream of using uh, an angle grinder on that because the adzing it is such a pleasure. Right. So uh, on the sort of hard kiln dried ash, it's it's just not a pleasure at all. So uh, I think unless you just enjoy masochism, then just <laughs> Get out the angle, um, but that's just for hogging it out, and then I'd go straight on to the travisher for the hollow part. Um, on the outside curves, it's a combination of uh, spoke shaves, but also one of the key tools that I have is a farrier's rasp. Um, oh, okay, yeah, is that the, the, the rasp you sell? Correct. Yeah, I mean the yeah. rasp. It, it is super coarse on one side, mm. uh, and it, you know when they're new, they will cut you quite easily. Um, wow. But I think that is a superb tool. 
I find quite a, quite a number of people come, the experience woodworkers, and people come with a very odd attitude about rasps. They, they, they feel they're far too superior to use a rasp. But I think what, if I can get them to try it, they're usually, usually hooked. Uh, I think it's a wonderful tool for shaping. It doesn't care how hard the wood or it doesn't care about the grain. Um, so that with, with spoke shaves and then scrapers, uh, and those are, those are the tools really I use for, um, for, for seat carving. Uh, when it comes to drilling, well, holes for the undercarriage, um, I'm a, I just try to make things as simple as possible. Mm. Um, I mean, it's far easier to make things more complicated, I, I've discovered. Um, <laughs> but my favorite way, if you, and it, it was made possible by buying really short bit auger bits, um, mm -hmm. the star M. Bits. Oh, the F type bits? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I have, so a, I have a full really set of those. Ones. Those are nice. Yeah. And then um, these brushless cordless drills, they're pretty short mm -hmm. too. And mm -hmm. the combination of the two give you something that will fit between the legs. Um, and I've I've attached a tiny little sort of uh, screw head to the uh, middle of the back of the drill, which absolutely in line with the, the drill bit. Um, so I have a mark at the back on the central axis. And then you all you do is put the drill, the tip of the drill on the spot that you want to drill line the other line the little screw head up with the other bit and drill and that's all there is to it and mm -hmm. yeah i mean it helps to have somebody with you yeah but you can, once you've done it a few times you can do it perfectly well by yourself and right. it's just so quick so yeah. now are you drilling through holes with the f-type or are you doing stuff no, more no. um i use um it's sean oh oh sean murphy's uh sean murphy's, drill um, drill drill yeah, okay, uh, yeah. I, they fit on these auger bits, although they're um, uh, imperial sizes on uh, metric drills. They still yeah. work. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the uh, the sixteen millimeter five eighths is really that's nice a, and close together. That's a good combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But then the yeah. other, the other holes. I mean, the the holes. I don't know if you want to talk about holes for in the arms and uh, in sure. the seat. I mean, this, this is obviously a subject very close to your heart um but uh we have a lot of oh, like, like i said there are a million ways to do things so Absolutely. you know I'm, I'm always i'm always interested in uh, new techniques well I, I always make my this is always thursday afternoon on the course mm -hmm. and uh i make my students aim between the spot on the arm and the spot on the seat all right and when you when i explain to them that uh, i haven't a clue what the angle is they're going to aim but they're not going to be able to see the spot on the seat initially they freak out and then gradually we build up to it and it's a real game and it's uh, people are absolutely amazed that it can actually work yeah um, but it uh, i i know a number of people would love to have your jig but i'm not going to let them have it i'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> that's fine that, that that's fine I, I just will say you know that uh, you know peter galbert greg pennington uh, uh... david d yard i mean just numbers of people use her my jigs in their classic I, just, I, I, just be quiet about that they look wonderful <laughs> wonderful gadgets <laughs> well yeah that, that's what a lot of the uh the instructors that do use my jigs say yeah uh students just got terrified we're almost at the end and they're so concerned they're going to run it and with this they can just go boom 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 and done <laughs> <laughs> so but uh but yeah yeah i've I yeah, when I started building chairs, yeah, I was like there and you know, yeah, you can't see the spot, but it's right there. Just, you know, use the force, Luke, and you know. <laughs> yeah, it took a long time to get used to that. 
I think it was when I did the uh, my course with Mike Dunbar, and uh, there were no power tools at all, and it was brace and bit and brace and mm -hmm. spoon bit, and using Ooh, a spoon bit yeah. on a on a curved piece of wood aiming at something. That that just blew my mind. I I think I had to get him to do it, but it was the only time I've ever used spoon bits. I I think uh, they're vastly overrated. Yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've I've messed around with one a, a few times, um, but yeah, it's they're hard to get started. Uh, once they get started, they they do a good job. But yeah, there's definitely a, a learning curve to using them for sure. Well, also wanted to talk a little bit about you have a book out uh, about uh, Windsor chairs as well as uh, chair plans on your site to people. So if they're so if they're an American uh, chair maker and want to. Uh, build one of the Anglo English uh, chairs that you uh, that you designed you have some plans out there for one I do have some plans yeah, yeah I did this quite a long time ago uh, and I haven't really kept it up but I it seemed like a good idea um, but uh, I'm not an artist like uh, Jeff uh, Lefkowitz yeah Lefkowitz. I mean he, yeah. he produces the most wonderful plans mine are rather more basic and uh, done by somebody who isn't a draftsman but uh, I think all the information is there. Mm -hmm. uh, and they they tick along i sell a few every year but uh, i probably won't add to them because it, it's just so much work uh, doing that um the book yeah i wrote that back in 2009 so uh, it's been around for a while uh, but quite exciting the um they they literally just last week uh, sent me uh, copies of a new paperback version so uh, it's on its it's been reprinted three times and now they've got a paperback version so uh, it keeps going so uh, I'd love to write a uh, a revised version. I'm not sure about another book, but a revised version I would love to mm -hmm. do. I have changed so much since 2009 um, that I'd love to be able to share that. But yeah, it's almost all on on my Instagram feed, anyways. Yeah, yeah. We were talking to Pete Galbert a few months ago, and he's in the process of revising his book because he goes, "Yeah, I know. I just wrote that, you know, five six years ago, but or probably seven or eight by now." But uh, he goes, "Yeah, things have changed." <laughs> <laughs> in such a short period of time so yeah so it's yeah. it's great but uh yeah and it's always great to be evolving in um you know what you're teaching and the techniques you use because i think it's it's it makes things easier for the students and it's and in my mind in the last since i've been interested in chair making last uh i don't know eight ten years or so i mean the amount of tools have just increased the amount of interest it seems seems like everybody's you know, and maybe it's just the company I keep, but it seems to be a lot more chairmakers in the world than there were a few years ago. Well, you can't have too many chairmakers. You can't. You can't. Yes. Yes. I, I think it's one of those things. Once you build a chair and you sit in something that you built, it's kind of a whole different experience than, you know, making a cabinet or something like that. You have this yeah. physical interaction with a piece you built. Well, I think the wonderful thing is that anybody can do it. You don't need to be a woodworker to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. I mean, yeah, I took, I took one of my neighbors to a chair course at Greg Pennington's this past October, and he has no woodworking experience. And he oh. built a sack back, and it's comfortable, it's well made, it's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. I would say 25, 20, 25% of the people who come on my courses have never been in a wood workshop. You know, never, you know, they may never have even picked up a hammer. And they often make better chairs than the people who come along and say, oh, I'm, a, I'm an expert woodworker. <laughs> That's the way it goes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the novice sometimes uh, is a lot better than the more experienced person when it comes to a new skill. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think one thing I'd add is, I mean, uh, one of the things that keeps me interested in, in this is 
is finding new ways to do things. And so many of the techniques that uh, I use now, the ideas have come from my students, not from me. Mm. I mean, I, yes, I've had you know, a good number, but uh, um, so frequently I'll explain something, I'll demonstrate something, and five minutes later I'll watch somebody do it, and they'll be doing it just slightly differently. And you think, oh, that's so much easier. Why didn't I think of that? Mm -hmm. Or they'll actually come out and say, well, wh why don't you do it this way? And mm -hmm. so every course I've run, I've probably come away with one or two or sometimes three really good tips, and they get incorporated to the next course, and just gradually the whole thing spirals upwards, hopefully. The, it just gets simpler and simpler. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's that's great. That's Yeah, yeah, and that's what I like about it is coming up with new techniques and ways of doing things. And, you know, I, I think at least in my mind, when you're exposed to people from especially different backgrounds, people that have different hobbies, they bring another set of tools or techniques to what they're doing. And sometimes, you know, what's being done in somewhere else, another discipline, another hobby, whatever it might be, it's like, uh, oh, well, we've never seen that in the woodworking type world or the mm -hmm. chair making type world. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting sometimes. Well, yeah, that, that's what keeps uh, keeps me going. I think if I was just making dares, I probably would have got bored, uh, <laughs> given up. I, I, I don't know. I, but you know, it's, it's quite a solitary occupation if you're going to do it full time. Yeah. You're literally stuck in a shed on your own, churning out chairs, and they're all fairly similar. But it's the fact of having courses and having eight people come along every two or three weeks' time um, from all over the world, you know, with all different interests and that is just really exciting and yep. everybody um, reacts differently to the way you teach and different challenges and uh, it, it's just, just a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about what kind of chairs are in your own house. Is it a huh? bunch of prototypes? <laughs> well, or, is it, or the cobbler has no shoes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think my wife is, uh, we, we, well, we start off, we, we have a rule that I'm not allowed to bring a new chair in unless I take an old chair out. <laughs> That's quite sensible. Um, and I think we've got past the stage of having prototypes in the house. Okay, good. We don't have two chairs the same. We have a lot of chairs, but no two are the same. So, uh, yeah, when we have the course, we uh, have our breaks around the dining room table, and every chair is different. And uh, people seem to enjoy trying a different chair every every break, and uh, it it just helps people see the variety and uh, what can be done. Mm -hmm. Oh well, that's great. Well, is there anything else that uh, you make for yourself personally? Uh, I, I think you mentioned you don't really have much time to do any uh, personal type. Uh, no, I think the, the most recent thing I, for Christmas, I uh, made a couple of magnetic knife blocks for my daughters. But uh, yeah, every now and again, something will come on and I'll have a little bit of time and I'll squeeze something in. But no, it, it is really just chairs. And I've, mm -hmm. I've always got, uh, well, almost always got an idea for a new chair. I've got this one, this idea for a a sack back with a curved arm. I mean, obviously curved in one direction, but curved in two directions. And uh, I, I'm just frustrated that I haven't got around to doing it. I, I know how I'm going to do it, but uh, I don't know if it's going to work. So uh, watch this space. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> Was there anything else that's coming up for the winter workshop? That I, no, I'm afraid it, it's pretty much more of the same. More of the same. Well, uh, we like the same, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> you're doing a fantastic okay. job. Yeah, right and, uh, and like I said, I... I I 
can't uh, express how much I've learned uh, from you, you know, just watching you on Instagram and seeing all this stuff. And, you know, hopefully some days our, our paths will meet and uh, maybe I'll be able to take a class because some of your chair designs are really nice. I really like the uh, the lines and especially some of the techniques that you use. I'd like to I, I want to try the uh, the stretcher drilling so <laughs> <laughs> well i i did um it, during uh i think it was the second lockdown yeah um i thought well i better come up with a new product and uh, mm -hmm. i did come up with a set of pinch rods and so on and i i've been teased so much about the name i gave it i i called it the undercarriage assistant <laughs> i mean it just says what it does but it's, uh, people have dirty minds or something and uh, <laughs> Not a great commercial success, but uh, invaluable in the workshop. Anyway. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, fantastic. Well, let's move on to our fortnightly beer choices. So I'll start us off. I am drinking um, Crawford Bach, which is made by Car uh, Carbach. And it's uh, it's a nice little, it's a good Saturday afternoon beer. It's what, four and a half percent. So it's not quite Miller Lite, but it's close. <laughs> so uh, Brian, what are you drinking? Yeah. So everybody knows we're, because James in England and we're in the United States, we're day drinking to make the time <laughs> work for everybody here. So uh, this is called Timberline Pacific Northwest IPA from Deadwoods Brewing out of Orlando, Florida, in the United States. It's a, it's a nice IPA. Um, I would say kind of the milder side, 7.5 ABV. Uh -huh. um, you know, I'm running out of these, or, these Florida beers. So if any of our Florida listeners want to send me something, just let me know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's good. I, I I would drink this again. It's nice. Sean, how about you? Very nice. Well, I, I did just get back from a run. So it started with uh, a little Gatorade Zero in water, <laughs> it, as it is midday. Um, but I did bend and just grabbed another one, what I had the other night, the uh, the Strawberry Letter 23 that I was drinking, then Hop Sour from, oh, yeah. uh, oh, okay. from Dewclaw. It is it is pretty good. Nice to have one. But uh, um, it's uh, commercially available and, and tasty. I like yeah. a good sour. James, what are you uh, drinking? this fine evening in west sussex it's very dry in in my office here so uh, ah, good. it's getting a bit late anyway so uh, uh yeah no I'm, I'm i'm not a great beer drinker i enjoy a bit of beer but i'm not a connoisseur like you guys oh okay wow. that's are you, are you a bourbon person or oh yeah we're getting into the gotcha. bourbon, but gin as well yeah. Yeah. oh gin yeah gin okay nice. good good are you a you, you like the hendrix oh hendrix is good yeah Yep, yep, yep. There's, yep, there's a variety, and uh, yeah, there's probably you probably have a much wider variety than we do in as far as gin. But gin has been getting popular here in the states. Um, I had a French gin that was really nice, Isom, I think it's from France. But I was like, it's not bad, not bad. This is rival some of the uh, English gins I've had. So interesting. Well, I belong to a thing called the Wine Society, and they produce a a gin, and it's fifty percent proof. That is, that's got a kick. Yeah. Ooh, wow. wow. <laughs> Whoa. That's a real gin. Once you've had that, everything else feels a bit weak. Wow. Ooh. That's like, I, I can imagine. That's Ooh. like moonshine here in the States. Yeah. You, do, you yeah. don't have to drink a lot of it. That's right. <laughs> no, yeah. I'd say not. Wow. Do you wow. mix that? Or are you, I mean, you're not drinking that just on ice. Well, not neat. No, no. But no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be frightening. <laughs> I mean, you can add tonic, or you can uh, beef it up even more and make a martini or something like that. But, uh, With that, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, that's that's strong. Rocket fuel. Rocket yeah, fuel indeed. Okay, you can almost mix shellac in that. So. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. All right. Well, with that, uh, James, where can uh, folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, I've uh, got a couple of websites. Uh, my main one is thewindsorworkshop.co.uk. And I also have another one, travisher.com. Uh, and otherwise, the internet, uh, uh, sorry, Instagram. Uh, I, I do have a number of uh, videos on YouTube, but I don't really sort of keep that up. Um, I usually only put them on uh, YouTube when I want to put a video onto my website. But uh, so Instagram is 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 probably uh, as good a place to do anything. And almost okay. all my techniques are, are shown there. Yeah, and if people hadn't followed James, go out there and uh, you can spend a few hours just watching him steam bin stuff, and yeah. it's absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, Brian, where can folks find you? I'm still anti Twitter, so Instagram is the place to follow me at Opst woodworks and opst is o-b-s-t kyle how about yourself you can always find me on instagram at barton.kyle or bb custom tools bbcustomtools.com or on youtube under bb custom tools or kyle barton sean what about yourself you can find me at sean w78 on most social medias and that just about wraps it up for this show if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. But the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.